Well, hey everyone, and welcome to the Christian Life Center. We're so glad that you're here and joining us today. Um, I do always like to give a special shout out to all three of our different audiences that we have right now. So thank you for those of you that are joining us in person. For those of you that are joining us either online or in our parking lot, thank you so much for being here. We're so glad that you're here. And today, I said this during the 10 before, but I feel like it, it's, it's worth saying again, but I wanna say congratulations to all of you that remembered that today was spring forward, right? Like I always, as a teenager, I always wanted to like sit in the back of the church and see who forgot. And as they came in late, like see the shock on their face and the confusion. I hope we don't have any of that now because now everybody's going to look back at them and they're going to understand, um, have no idea what we're talking about. But we are so glad that you're here, whether you are joining us online, like I said, or catching the restream either at 1045 or at 5. We are so glad that you're joining us. And as Christian said, yeah, today we start to wrap up our series that we've been in for a very long time uh, as we've worked through the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, we are excited for that. I'm excited to be able to share. And uh, today's a little bit of a different message, I feel like, than what we've been doing instead of kind of grabbing a text and really kind of diving into it. What I hope to do is kind of share some of the highlights or some of the things that we've talked about in this Luke series. And so if you're joining us for the very first time, this is probably all brand new. If, you're, if you've been here for a while, this may be a little bit of a repeat or a recap, but I also feel like there's something more that God wants to share with you and challenge us from John chapter 13 today. So I'm excited to be able to share. Um, and before we do that, I, I did want to just take uh, just a little bit of time and just open in prayer um, as we just kind of start uh, to close this series out. So if you would join me in that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you that we get this opportunity to, to come into your presence, that we get this opportunity to come before you uh, and just gather together, Lord, whether that's in person or online, Lord, that we get this opportunity uh, to just simply reflect on your goodness and on your greatness. And Lord, as we come before you, as we look at the events that are unfolding in our world, Lord, they're, they're troublesome. They're, there's some challenges there, Lord, as we specifically look at the conflict that's happening right now in the Ukraine, Lord God, there's, there's so many different thoughts and feelings and emotions wrapped up in that, Lord. Um, and Lord, my desire would be that you would bring peace and that you would allow that conflict to cease Lord, but I don't even know what exactly it is to pray. So Lord, the only thing that I know to do is to simply say, Father, would your will be done in the midst of that? Lord, for every one of those uh, over two million people that have been displaced, Lord God, I pray that your presence and your power and your peace would just be evident in their lives. Lord, that those that don't know you would somehow be able to come to know you in the midst of this conflict and in the midst of this difficulty those that do know you, that they would just be strengthened in their faith, and that they would be strengthened in their desire to see you move and work within our world. So Lord, I pray that you would move in, in, in that entire situation, that your will would be done, that you would be glorified. Lord, as we think about the events that are happening uh, in our homes and in our areas, Lord God, there's so many different things, so many microcosms of, of this life, Lord God, that bring challenge, that bring difficulty. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just allow yourself to be known, that we would see you for who you are, that we would praise you and worship you, Lord, uh, not because of our circumstances, but in spite of our circumstances, that we would see you as our good father. 
Lord, I thank you so much for this time. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that they would not be my words, but you would just allow each and every single one of us to hear whatever it is that you have for us. Lord, would, would it not be my words, but yours, Lord. I thank you for this time. As we start to wrap up this series, Lord God, I pray that you would just continue to move and work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, like I said, pretty excited as we are starting to wrap up this series. Christian will be back next week for the official final uh, one of this series, the final message in the Luke series. And I know that it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I know that for some, uh, you're a little bit sad to see the series go. And for some of you, you are super excited and cannot wait till we move on to the next thing. So I know that there's a mixed bag. And uh, we did feel like it was appropriate as Pastor Bob and his wife, Liz come in as Christian and I were kind of looking and thinking through the message planning. We thought it was appropriate that as Bob comes in that we would want to kind of wrap this up so that as Bob comes in, he can lead where he feels like God is calling him to communicate to and he can lead the church where he feels like God is calling us to. And so we're wrapping up the series, like I said, um, but I did some math um, and I, it's been a little less than two years, but this Anybody want to take a guess at how long we have been in the Luke series? Does anybody know off the top of their head or anybody want to guess? I am not seeing any hands. Go ahead. You can just shout it out. Like I'm July 2020, July 2020 but how many days or weeks or months do you think that we have been in this series? If anybody's really good at math, you could probably figure that out quickly, but I, I could not. I used Google, uh, like a Google search that brought up a perfect calendar and calculator for me. Does anybody want to guess? Any ideas? It was July 2020 that we started this series. And so if we add up all of the weeks that we've been doing it from that, that I think it was July 19th, if I remember correctly, from July 19th, to today, that equals, uh, let me, I wrote it down so that I don't get it wrong, one year, seven months, and 22 days. So that's a long, a significant amount of time. That equals 86 weeks. If you're talking in months, that's 19 and change uh, in months. So if Luke was a, a toddler, he would be a 20-month-old, 20 or a 19-and-a-half-month-old baby. So it's been a while. And that equals 602 days. So it's been a, a while that we've been in this series. Um, again, I know that there's mixed thoughts, and some are really excited to see that go, and some are not. I do want to just kind of, for clarity's sake, I do want to say if you hear anybody in my small group talking about I'm continuing the Luke series in my small group, that's not true. Um, and Mitch, please stop asking. Um, but we are glad and excited to see what God is up to. It's been a long and challenging Two years. In fact, today is kind of the anniversary of the Sunday where everything kind of was impacted by COVID. So it was about two years ago this Sunday that all of the changes and it feels like the entire world changed overnight and we're still experiencing many of those. And two years ago, we didn't have on our in-person services. Um, when we started this in July 2020, uh, 2020, we were still doing recorded messages, and then we were still doing services out in the parking lot. We, uh, at that time, did not have the screen, so it was just a different world. And then 
As we think back on this series, uh, we can think through all of the transitions and all of the changes that have happened for all of us, both within this church and then also probably within our own personal lives, how things have changed. It just seemed like COVID brought a, a season of change where everything that we knew got shifted. And then what happened is that we did what we needed to, and then we continued on. And then in 2021, we started to make some changes ourselves in that. And, and a lot of different things have changed, right? And I'm truly excited for what God has in store for this church as Bob and Liz come. It's another change, but I think that God has great things in store because what I know is that God still has a work to do within this church and this community. And so as we kind of wrap up this series, I couldn't help but reflect on where we've been and kind of where we're going. And I'm truly excited because God is a good God. He's a good father. And as we experience all of these difficulties, he still remains faithful, even in the midst of everything that we experience. And as we look at Luke, there, there's some lessons that we see kind of time and time again. The way that Luke writes this, uh, we're kind of confronted many times with some thoughts that we've worked through and we've talked through and we've gone through. And so as we wrap up this series, I thought it was appropriate to kind of just share some of those. And I don't really know, this, uh, this might be a little bit of a shorter message, but then again, I do have the gift of gab and it just seems like every time I think something's going to be short, it doesn't end up being that way. So uh, I just want to kind of work through some thoughts and then share some, uh, some verses in, in John chapter 13. And so we're just kind of jumping around. Luke, if you can remember all the way back to that beginning, or if you weren't here with us, Luke was written by a physician or a doctor by the name of Luke. And it was written specifically for the expressed purpose that through this person that is called Theophilus, that Theophilus would have certainty of the things that he had been taught. In fact, this is our original logo. We kind of went back to the beginning. Uh, it's that you may have certainty. So the book of Luke was written as this kind of specific, recorded, investigative report that Luke the doctor was doing. That bo Both Luke and uh, the book of Acts were written by Luke. And some believe that this could have even been kind of Paul's uh, like legal... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was almost like a legal summary of what had happened through Christ's coming, through the spread of the gospel, and through kind of the continuation and the birth of the church. Some believe that this could have been even Luke's kind of recorded account to Theophilus, who was probably some type of a Roman official. Uh, we know that because basically in the beginning of Luke, he says most excellent Theophilus, and, and that was a title that would have been reserved for somebody that was of honor, somebody that had a position. In fact, we see that Paul does this, uh, it's for, uh, he says this for two people, it's for Felix in uh, Acts 23 and 24, and then Festus in Acts 26. So most excellent Theophilus was probably most excellent, that was a title that Luke was using to kind of show that this is a person of honor. And so Luke is writing this account, maybe again, possibly as a, a legal summary of how Jesus moved and worked and went throughout the area, how the gospel and Christianity spread. But what we see in it is that this is so that there would be certainty of the things that Theophilus had been taught. 
And, and what's interesting is that if Theophilus was a Roman official, uh, he would have been a Gentile, not a Jew. So uh, most likely Luke was also, as he writes, he was a Gentile, not a Jew. So you have some Jewish people like Paul, and you have all of the, the 12 disciples who were Jewish, who kind of knew the background and the history, and would probably see all of these things that were in the Old Testament. But as Luke writes it, he writes it in such a way that this Gentile audience would understand and see who Jesus is. And not only did Theophilus be able to read this summary, but we, thousands of years later, get the opportunity to look at this and to be able to examine the book of Luke and for ourselves be able to hear kind of the eyewitness and the testimony and the, uh, the history that Luke investigated. In the beginning, he says that he, it was from uh, oral tradition that he had sat down kind of with teachers, that he had kind of re, uh, read the summaries, which at that point, most likely Matthew and Mark, those two gospels were in existence. So he probably read them and then also sat down with eyewitnesses. He, he most likely kind of did everything that he needed to do. In fact, uh, there was this... Uh, paragraph that I want to read to you. It's from the Enduring Word Commentary. It says this. It says, the first four verses of Luke's gospel are one sentence in the original Greek. They were written in refined, academic, classical style. But then, for the rest of the gospel, Luke didn't use the language of scholars, but of the common man, the language of the village and the streets. Through this, Luke said to us, says to us, this account has all of the proper academic and scholarly credentials, but it is written for the man on the streets. Luke also wrote that people would understand Jesus, not so that they would admire his brain and literary skill. And so as we look through this again, Theophilus was kind of the intended target so that he would have certainty of the things that he had been taught. But we also get to see all of the different things that Jesus did, and we get to report and understand through this investigative journal that Luke put together how Jesus moved and worked. And so I, I feel like what I did was I, I kind of struggled a little bit as I was looking at this passage of, uh, of everything that we have covered in the last 86 weeks, and uh, I, I kind of struggled, like, what, what do we talk about? Like, I, I didn't initially want to do kind of what, where I feel like I landed, where I'd give you a summary, because I feel like you'd be repeating some of the th same things. But then what I thought is that as we've worked through the book of Luke, Luke has done that time and time and time and time again. You see these same topics and these same kind of concepts showing up again and again and again. And again, I think Luke understood the audience that he was writing to. He's writing to a Gentile. He's ultimately, as we're reading it, we would be Gentiles, not in the Jewish faith, but we get to see and understand from his perspective, not from a Jewish insider perspective, but from the perspective of the outcast. And Jesus' ministry was for the outcasts. Jesus desired the undesirables. When Jesus came, it changed everything. The way that he presented the gospel, it was different than the way that the religious elite would, would talk and show and challenge and, and kind of t explain how religion looked like. And Jesus came for something different. And so I want to share these thoughts. We'll just kind of work through them, and we'll continue to, to get through this. The first thing that we have seen time and time again is, number one, that the kingdom of God had come. 
especially early on in the writings, what you see is that Luke starts his account by recording even the announcement of Christ's birth. He, not only does he record the announcement of Christ's birth, what he also does is he also includes John the Baptist, the forerunner, who would go before Jesus and, ex- and declare that Jesus was coming. He was, the, again, the forerunner. So what Luke does is he gives this account all the way, even arguably, as you look at the lineage And he traces the lineage and the line of David all the way back of Jesus and of King David all the way back to creation. So he kind of even starts in the very beginning of creation, but starts to give the details at Christ's announcement. And what we see very early on is that through the birth of Jesus, this this tiny infant king, we see that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom of God was established through this birth that was not loud and obnoxious, it was quiet and simple. It was announced not by kings and, and, and adored by all of these people. It was announced by the outcast shepherds in the stable or in a cave surrounded by animals. So we see, as Luke starts to write, that the kingdom of God had come. The kingdom of God had showed up. He had, Jesus had left heaven. He had left his throne and came in the form of a baby. The kingdom of God had come. It started at Christ's birth. It also looked different than what everybody was expecting, right? Like this is, again, something that we see time and time again. Everyone had this expectation that as the king would come, this conquering hero would show up in Jerusalem. He would set free the Romans, or he would set free the Jews from the Romans, and then all of a sudden they would be established as a great nation once again. But Jesus, many times disappointed, because he did come to establish his kingdom, and his kingdom was established here in this earth, on this earth, but it wasn't in the way and the form that anybody thought that it would be. Again, we just said it. Instead of being announced and celebrated throughout the world as this king who stakes a claim on his throne, he's just this quiet, infant God baby that shows up in a stable. It looked different than what was expected. The kingdom came and would come silently and unseen. Another thing that we see through this is that uh, the kingdom would start small and continue to grow. Much like Jesus showed up in the form of a child who grew into a man, who grew into a ministry, and then continued on, the kingdom of God would have very small beginnings, but it would continue to grow even to the point of today. What started off as something so small that was with Jesus and these 12 ragtag guys, this misfit of disciples, these rejects from the kind of the, the Bible school, if you will, Jesus takes those 12 men and it grows and grows and grows to where we still get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the kingdom today. As Luke writes this, he's not just writing this so that we would see that Jesus showed up and that was kind of the end. No, Jesus showed up and it changed everything. Jesus showed up and his kingdom was now established here on this earth. Yes, it looked different than what anybody expected, but his kingdom was here and that has implications for us today. So we get to choose whether or not we will live into that kingdom or if we won't. It starts small and it grows into something beautiful. The kingdom of God also seemed to be backwards to the world, right? 
Like, this is where we see this conflict that arises again and again and again, especially in Jesus's ministry as he travels kind of, uh, as we look from chapter 9 to 18, as Jesus is kind of on the road doing ministry, we see conflict happen almost again and again and again. And the problem was is because everyone thought that this is the way that it would look like and this is the way that Jesus would come and establish his kingdom. And Jesus was going, nope, it looks different. Even though the way that the religious elite would come to Jesus, it wasn't through their own righteousness and through their own merit. It, Jesus had come to fulfill the law, and, and what they had experienced in the past was no longer how they would approach the kingdom of God anymore. Instead of through sacrifices, Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice. And so now, instead of doing the right thing and following the, the law and trying to be perfect, which no one was ever successful at, Jesus now goes, I will be the perfect sacrifice. And through the relationship that you have with me, you will then be made right and whole in the sight of God the Father. It was backwards that many people missed, that the Jews as a whole missed this idea because their expectation was so much different than what actually came to be. As Jesus established his kingdom, the kingdom had come, but it looked different, and it felt like it was backwards compared to what they were expecting. Only when we submit ourselves to Jesus' upside-down kingdom can we truly experience the real Jesus. In Jesus' teachings, it, it, two things happened. One, the religious elite got a little bit more angry, right? Like, they tried to stump him. They tried to get him to trip on his words. They tried to find fault in him. They tried to kind of do all of the th things that they could to stop him. But then also, those that were the outcasts, they would have gotten excited. Because the religious folk had put all of these rules and expectations and all of these kind of limitations and what you can and can't do, they had made religion so complicated that it would have been easier to just kind of stay away. But now, and this is a highlight of Luke specifically, the Gentiles can now even approach what God has done. This would have caused excitement for the crowds. For those that were outsiders, now they hear that they have the opportunity to come into the world, or to come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. That it wasn't just for the Jews, it wasn't just for the religious elite, that now, as a normal person, as a reject of society, that they could now approach this Messiah. And it's, it almost seems like as Jesus continues his ministry, more and more Gentiles get more excited about what's going on than the Jews do. The Jews become a little bit more angry as Jesus continues, ultimately to the point where the, the Jewish leadership takes Jesus' life. But the Gentiles, there's a little bit more of excitement, or at least it just appears to be that way. And I'm so thankful that Luke in his gospel writes in such a way that the Gentiles have access to Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus provided a way because through that we get to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not by good deeds or religious works or devotion that we enter into a right relationship or right standing with Jesus. It's by humility and, humbly, uh, and humbling ourselves and recognize that we have fallen short of and uh, that we have fallen short in sin and are in need of a savior and we can experience the kingdom of God. Uh, the second thing that I wrote down is, is this. One of the things that we see time and time again, one of the things that I feel like I brought up time and time again is that Jesus was the one true Messiah. Jesus was the one true Messiah. 
And this is something that Luke kind of continuously brings up and brings up and brings up. We're almost confronted with this thought of who do you say that Jesus is? Even Jesus, in asking the disciples, he goes, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? He's kind of asking this question, and Luke, and as he writes it, he's asking the same question for us. Who do you say that Jesus is? He doesn't directly ask that, but these, the passages are, are just kind of crafted in such a way that you have to almost look at it and go, who do I think that Jesus is? Do I believe what Luke is saying? Do I believe this eyewitness and this testimony account? Or do I choose to reject it? We're almost confronted with that verse after verse after verse as we read through this. And Luke had intentionally written in such a way that he was connecting Jesus to the line and the throne of King David, which someone was a Jew, they would have understand that the Messiah, the one true Messiah would come through the lineage and the line of King David. And so we see even in those first three chapters of Luke, there's three different references where, where Luke is writing in such a way that there's a connection to Jesus and to the line and to the house of David. And he's writing it so that this would be evidence, that this would be proof that we would see that Jesus was in the line and in the, the, the lineage and in the house of David. And so we should recognize him and see him as Messiah. What's interesting is that as he did his ministry, as he traveled, as he toured, as he kind of brought the kingdom of heaven from heaven to earth, Jesus did so many different miracles that the Jews should have recognized and saw as Jesus the fulfillment of those prophecies. And what happened is that the religious elite, instead of seeing that, their hearts became more hardened. They became a little bit more obstinate, going, no, 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 I'm not going to see it that way. And instead of being open to receive this one true Messiah, they instead chose to reject him. I think that Luke's gospel continues to do this where it confronts us that we have to answer this question. Who do we say that Jesus is? He is either the Lord of all or he's not. We have to kind of land at a place where we decide whether or not we believe this account of what Luke is writing. And the reality is, is that if Jesus is the true King of kings and he's the Lord of lords, if he had come, if the kingdom had come and the, the king kind of ushered in his reign, even if it was quiet, do we see him as such? Because if, if that's the case, there's eternal implications to it. If we see him as Messiah, that should change things in our lives. And also the reality is, is that if we see him not as the Messiah, that also changes the way that we live out our lives. That's what Luke's gospel continues to bring out and continues to show up. It seems like chapter after chapter after chapter, you are confronted with this idea, who do you say that Jesus is? There are numerous prophecies that, fulfilled, uh, that were fulfilled in the ministry and the life of Jesus. This is the very evidence that Luke is trying to present as he investigates who Jesus was. Here's his lineage, here's his miracles, here's the evidence and the proof, uh, here's the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in our midst. Here is the chosen Messiah. This man wasn't just a man, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are we lost in pride trying to fit, make Jesus fit into our own mold, or are we seeing Jesus for who he is and allowing him to shape our lives in light of who he is? 
The third thing that I wrote down is this, is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. In, in, in some of the uh, commentaries that you read, as you look as an, at an overview of the Gospel of Luke, one of the verses that generally comes to the top of that search would be Luke chapter 19, verses 10. And, and we have that, if you want to put that up there. Luke 19, 10, some say that this is kind of the, the main passage or the main text of his, his entire Gospel. And, and that's this. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke's history of the life of Jesus emphasizes his ministry to and compassion for Gentiles, Samaritans, women, children, tax collectors, sinners, and others regarded as outcasts in Israel. Jesus walks through Luke's gospel, uh, illustrating his deep and abiding care for people regardless of what they have done or what their status in society was. The fact that the eternal Son of God lowered himself, taking on human flesh, made himself subject to human limitations, and sought out his people in bodily form shows us clearly how much God cares for us, and in turn, how we should care for others. As you look at the Gospel of Luke, it's impossible to, to not just look at this and to see the love that God had for his people. Jesus' mission, his, his purpose of coming was to seek and to save that which was lost. We were what was lost. We were why he came. We, including the people 2,000 years ago as he walked the earth, we were who he came to save. And the reason why he did that was because he loved us, that he cared for us, that he de desired to be in relationship with us, that did, he didn't want to just see his creation miss what God had for him, miss what the Father had for us, but he wanted to see us in right relationship with him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel of Luke is the story of the emergence of the kingdom of God on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. As the true king of the world, Christ is both the ruler in whom we owe our allegiance and the model for how we are to exercise uh, whatever authority we are given in life. Above all, he teaches that citizenship in God's kingdom means working as a servant of God and of people. His self-sacrifice on the cross serves as the ultimate model of servant leadership. His resurrection to the throne of God's kingdom confirms and establishes forever the active love of our neighbor as the way of eternal life. And, and as I work through this, it's maybe even a little bit funny, as I work through all of these passages in Luke, one of the things that I recognize is that as we kind of conclude this series, there's about four chapters that we, we are kind of skipping over in this conclusion to the series of Luke. And it, it's basically Luke 20 through 24. I think next week Christian is actually sharing some of the verses from uh, chapter 24, so maybe it's not entirely those four verses. But what I would challenge you to do is, is to read through those verses, to read through those chapters. Those four verses, there's a lot that happens it, it, we have kind of paused the series right where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it's really about a week left until his life is taken on the cross. And so what I wanted to do was zoom into a very specific moment that happens on the night before he's crucified. In fact, I would even argue that what happens in this, this text as we read it from John chapter 13 is kind of the start or the initiation of the crucifixion of what happens. 
And so I wanted to zoom in on that and so that we could see this ultimate example of what Jesus did. Ultimate example of how Jesus modeled for us how we should live our lives as believers. And it's, we're going to read through that. There's kind of, a, I'm jumping around kind of in it. There's a lot of different things that we could pull out of that. Uh, but just bear with me. I want to kind of focus on the tail verses of that. But I think that we need to build to get to that point. So uh, I just want to kind of talk about this. Again, this is the night before Jesus is betrayed. This has got a different feel to it. Jesus isn't communicating to the masses. He's not talking to the crowds. What he's doing is he's sharing a last meal, the last supper with his 12 disciples. All of kind of the background noise is kind of quieted. All of this kind of changes the tone in which Jesus talks is different. In fact, let me read uh, what the teacher's commentary says. It says, as we read these chapters in John's gospel, the mood changes. The sharp tone of conflict is muted. No Pharisee in, uh, intrudes here. Instead, we sense only tenderness and a strange sort of peace. Strange, because Jesus' life is now measured not by months or weeks, but by hours. And Jesus chose to spend the last hours on earth with his own, to his own, and to you and me. Jesus explains how to practice the presence of and to know the intimate fellowship with God. And so I just want to kind of read through this. What we'll do is I'll, I'll read, I think it's the first five verses. We'll, we'll kind of skip, but I'll try and explain what happens in those and then kind of uh, view kind of what Jesus says after that. Skip a few and then just kind of get to the end. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me. Use your Bible app. If you are watching it online, there's also a, a button you can click to get the Bible. But here's what it says in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says this. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So again, as this Bible commentary or this teacher's commentary says, there's a different mood here in John 13 through 15. Jesus is sitting. These are kind of his last words with his disciples. If you knew that your death was coming, if you had uh, 24 hours to live, you would probably want to gather together the people that you love. And you would probably want to discuss the things that are most important to you, the things that are most valued, or the things that are most cherished. You would want them to lean in. Your tone and your attitude would probably be a little bit different because this is probably the last opportunity that you have to share with them. You probably wouldn't be, you know, swapping recipes or talking about gardening secrets. You're probably going to focus on things that are a little bit more important. Not that those things aren't important if you love to do those things. Sorry, that, I didn't, that was a backhanded, I didn't mean that, but whatever. So Jesus is, is talking and there's this kind of this, this heaviness to the room. And Jesus knows that the hour has come. He's about to leave those that he loves those that he has spent three years with, mentoring, training, discipling, the people that he's ultimately leaving kind of with the responsibility to build the church. There's a tone there that you can just kind of sense and feel. Continuing on in verse two and three, it says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Listen to this verse. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things 
under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. As John writes this, maybe it's later on in life, we, we know that John is kind of the last of the four Gospels that was written. John is maybe reflecting back on this moment that he shared with Jesus, and he's going, man, imagine what Jesus was thinking. He knew that all power and all authority rested with him. Jesus knew at that time that he could speak a word and thousands of angels could come and save him from what was about to happen. The disciples and Jesus knew that he could say one word and dead men would come back to life. Here, the, the, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke life into existence, is about to die on the cross, knowing that he has all power, all authority, that he controls both the natural and the supernatural, that there is nothing outside of his ability to do, and that he came from God and is returning back to God. And so what does he do with all of this power and all of this authority? It says, verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just making sure that I'm reading that, and he had come from God and was returning to God, for verses uh, 4 and 5 of 13. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Again, Jesus, knowing that he has full authority over all things, knowing that he is all-powerful, that he can do anything, he chooses to submit himself and to wash his disciples' feet. This isn't really where I'm hoping to land, but there's so much that we could talk about in this. Jesus chooses to be a servant. He chooses to model. This is literally hours before his death. This is what he chooses to do. Not to give a lecture, not to explain salvation, not to talk about more discipleship opportunities. He chooses to model to his disciples what servanthood looks like. Taking on the very lowest form of a servant. Something that if you were... If you had slaves, you would not allow your Jewish slave to do this because it was considered so low that that would be inappropriate for you to do. Only slaves that were not Jews were allowed to apparently wash feet in that day and that time. Jesus models what he wanted his disciples to do. What happens is that Jesus kind of goes around, he washes the disciples' feet. Uh, the verses that we're kind of skipping over, Peter kind of objects to it going, Jesus, no, 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 there's no way that I'm going to allow you to wash my feet. Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. Then Peter's going, okay, then wash my head, my hands, my feet, let's do this. Jesus is going, you just, no, you don't need to. And it continues on. So Jesus finishes up in verses, uh, uh, then verses 12 through 17, it says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. If there was anybody that had the ability or the, like, should have the opportunity to kind of go, hey, you should probably respect and admire and to cherish me, Jesus was that person. But instead, he chose to submit and to be a servant. And he challenges them, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. If you want blessing to chase after you in your life, then be a servant to all. Love in the way that Jesus chose to love. Serve in the way that Jesus chose to serve. And again, there's so much more that we could talk about in this passage. There's so much more in these verses that we could draw out. But I want to continue into this next part in 31, uh, and yeah, 31 uh, through, through the end. And, and basically what happens is in, in verses 18 through 30, as you continue through that passage, what happens is that Judas goes, that there's this exchange between Jesus and Judas. The disciples don't really know what's going on, but Jesus tells Judas to go and do what's in his mind. And, and the disciples think, that Judas, since he's in charge of the money, maybe he's going to pay a bill or do something. And so Judas leaves to initiate the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Continuing on with, with verses 31 and 32, it says, when he was gone, Jesus said, and when he is gone, man, this is, uh, just that, to pause and to reflect, this is the start. This is go time right? Like, this is where the crucifixion starts. There is no turning back as Judas leaves. Judas is kind of the, the starting point of the crucifixion where he's going to get, uh, going to get paid and he's going to the, to, to the priest and the, uh, the religious elite and then coming back to get Jesus and to go through everything that we, he would experience on the cross. So this is go time. And so it says, when he had gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Again, the disciples have kind of missed what's going on. They don't fully understand. I wonder if they're sitting at the table going, what? <laughs> That's awesome, Jesus. I have no idea what that means, right? Like, Jesus knows what's happening. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. And then he continues on in verses 33 through 35. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I have told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. And then this is what he says, and this is really what I want us to hear this morning as we kind of part one of our, our conclusion to Luke. This is what it says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, dis my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says this commandment that I want to give to you is new. And what's interesting is that it's not actually all that new, but I think maybe why Jesus says this is because it was something that wasn't lived into in that day and in that time. As we've read through Luke, it wasn't love was not on the forefront of the religious people. Love was not on the thought of people that were walking through the streets. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You don't understand that love is what identifies you as a disciple. People will know who you are by the love that you show one another. I, I thought about using an illustration, but I didn't want to do that. But if I was to put a, 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 a logo on the screen, you would be able to identify most likely what that logo was. So if it was a, a clothing brand or a shoe brand, let, let's say I put the Nike swoosh up there, you would look at that, just the symbol of it, and you would go, that's 
Nikes. You could identify it instantly, and right away you would know exactly what it is. If I was to put the Dallas Cowboy sign up there, you all would probably hate me, but you would instantly identify as to what that would be. The same is true for so many other sports teams, right? Like, as you go to a team, if you were to go to the Eagles, play a game, I know it's the offseason, but if you were to go there, you would see that people would identify themselves by the Eagles, uh, by wearing hats, by wearing jerseys, by holding signs, waving banners. There's all of these things that would identify them as a fan of a particular sports team. Jesus here is saying, hey, what should identify you as disciples? love that you have for one another. When people see you, much like you wearing a hat that says eagles, people should see the love that you have because you're my disciple. It's the identifying mark of believers. It's what we are called to do and to live out, this idea of servanthood and this idea of loving others, putting their needs ahead of our own. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Love identifies us as disciples. <laughs> the last verses here, I, I think, are uh, a little bit comical, right? Because Simon Peter always missed it, just always did. Like even just a couple of verses ago, he's, Simon Peter's going, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Okay, wash my feet, my hands, my head, let's do this. And here, Jesus just kind of, I want you to see the entire passage. Jesus just models servanthood to them. He just shows them washing their feet, taking the lowest position, explaining to them, here's this brand new commandment or this commandment that I want you to know and to identify and to emphasize and all of this. And then what Peter says, continuing on in verse 36, it says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Like Jesus says right before 35, a new commandment, he goes, where I'm going, you cannot go. It's almost like Peter missed everything, right? Like Peter's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're leaving? What do you mean I can't go with you? I just wonder if Jesus was like, oh, here we go again. No, Peter, you can't. You'll come eventually, but not, right? Love, you missed the point here, love. Uh, that's at least how I see this play out in my mind. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. I think in part what that does show is that Peter's desire to be with Jesus. Peter had a desire to be where Jesus was. Peter wanted to be with his Lord and his Savior. Finishing out that verse, it says, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will, uh, I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life very truly I tell you before the rooster crows you will disown me three times and this is kind of foretelling of what would happen in Peter and then also uh, one of the initial thoughts that I had was kind of telling you the story where Jesus kind of reinstates Peter after the the crucifixion and after his his uh, resurrection Jesus reinstates Peter and it's a beautiful picture but that's not what I wanted to end on today really as we look through Luke Jesus came, his kingdom was established, he was the true Messiah, and he came to seek and to save the lost. And why did he do those things? He did those things because of his incredible love for us. And if the worship team wants to come and make their way on out, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. Jesus came, why? Because he loved us. Because he cared for us.
He desired for us to be in right relationship. But it's not just about our selfish, what we get, but Jesus also wants others to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. We get this opportunity to know him as our Lord and our Savior, but what happens is as we start our discipleship with him, really what we should do is model our life after his. And he chose to not take the position of the title and the authority, but he chose to take the position of a servant. He chose to live out love, not live out what he was entitled to. Christ came to seek and to save, and the reason why he did was because of his great love for us. A saying has been around for a while that says it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross, it was his love for us. And God wants you to experience, Jesus wants you to experience that love that he has that we've seen time and time and time again through the book of Luke. And he wants even more than that, he wants you to experience that, but for you to then begin to share that with others. So as we start to wrap up this series, the kingdom of God had come. Jesus was the true Messiah, and he came to seek and to save the lost. And our application for that is to say, if Jesus did those things, we should model our lives after his, by being a servant and being identified by the love that we have for one another. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you. Lord, I thank you that we get to read your word. Lord, that we've been challenged through this book of Luke. Lord, even today as we look at John, kind of a, a different approach, hours before your death on the cross, Lord God, we see that you modeled for us what we should live out. That we should live, live out servanthood and we should live out love and it should identify us as disciples. Lord, you said it in numerous places, Lord, the, the gospel records that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and that the second was like it to love others, and that it fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. Lord, so would we choose to do those two things? Would we choose to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and would we choose to love others? Lord, I thank you for this as we go from this time, as we go from this place. Lord, would your spirit go before us? Would you show us how we can love one another and we can serve one another? We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I would ask you to rise and stand with us as we sing out our final song this morning.
God has been working and challenging you, whether you're first time joining us, maybe just even today, or you've been with us for that journey. Our, our prayer is that God would just move and work. We still have one week left. Christian will be finally, uh, will be wrapping up that series entirely next week. But I want to encourage you to, to read those last four chapters of Luke, Luke 20 through 24. 
um, and, and see how it concludes, to see how Jesus lives his life, how he modeled servanthood by dying on a cross. And I do want to say if you have any questions, we will be back this week with overtime on Tuesday at 12 p.m. We'd love to hear any questions or discussion that you might have. And then in closing today, I just want to read a benediction to you from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. And this is what it says. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you have a great week, and we hope to see you next week. Thanks for coming, everyone. Thank you.